0: Pastor Lisa Bates-Froyland here from Redeemer Lutheran Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Welcome to our fourth season of the Redeemer Lives, Redeemer Lives podcast, a more portable way to take in the weekly preaching and music here at Redeemer. This season, we weather the winter months together, join us as we prepare for Christmas in December, and get to know Jesus through scripture and song in January, February, March, and then head toward a crescendo in April with a retelling of Jesus's death and resurrection. Imagine that, a religion founded on the promise that new life can emerge from death. And lucky us here in Wisconsin, because nature will be showing us this truth at the very same time. And now, here's the sermon. I have three questions for us this morning based on what we've heard so far in the assembly. Why did crowds, come out into the wilderness to be baptized by John? Why did John seem to be so rude to these crowds who were coming and made the trip to get baptized? And finally, what do you suppose happened to them when they came out of the water? So that's what we're up to this morning. First, I want you to picture something in your minds. Because it's not easy at Redeemer to have a screen fall down from the sky and for me to, to show you a picture of a place. So we got to use our imaginations for this. The Evangelical Lutheran Church in Jordan and the Holy Land has a site out in the wilderness. And it is purportedly near the historic site where John baptized and where Jesus would come to be baptized as well. And it's in the middle of wilderness, an empty place. And they've built this church and the water down below is not a mighty stream. It's kind of a little marsh. Uh, My daughter Maddie has been there recently. But it's a place now where they want people to come and contemplate and have respite. And the Lutheran Church has been um, leading this site only for uh, the last few years. And some of those years were pandemic years. So rather than the crowds coming to be baptized by John, I looked it up, and last year they had five, and the year before that they had 12. So they're hoping with the lifting of the pandemic um, restrictions that people will come there to be baptized or to remember their baptism as well. So So you're picturing that, empty place, lots of sand. Why did crowds, come out into that wilderness to be baptized by John so many years ago. It's interesting that the writer of this passage of Luke makes a contrast, and you may not have even noticed it. All of those names that I was tripping over on the way into um, the passage about God's word coming, those were the people of power and the places of power. So all of that gets listed to kind of place the time and who was, who was in charge of things. And then like a bolt out of the blue, it says, God's word came to John in the wilderness. God is the primary actor in this story. We hear nothing more about those other folks, but it's the word of God and what happens next. So why did crowds come out into the wilderness to be baptized by John. Well, what was this baptism for? It was a baptism of repentance for forgiveness. What if that's why throngs of people would come out into the middle of nowhere to be baptized by John in the Jordan? Because they deeply, sorely needed forgiveness, and they weren't going to find it with the political leaders or the religious leaders of that time, and so they were walking and talking and living in an unforgiven state, in a punitive kind of state, in a no escape from what mistakes they had made kind of state, and that had to be really limiting and depressing and sad and hopeless. Maybe someone here can connect to that feeling as well. They needed forgiveness. They weren't getting it from the people in power because the people in power could use inescapable guilt as a means of control. If I've got you under my thumb, because I think you owe me something because of what mistake you've made, then there's control there. And people in power don't like to give up control. So this baptism of repentance for forgiveness is an incredible resource of power that the church ought to know, love, and use all the time. If you remember my sermon last week was about forgiveness is or religion is meant to be about love. Forgiveness is both about submitting to God, which is difficult, but it's also empowering. There's a great deal of power and freedom that comes from forgiveness. What are the barriers to accessing that power? It's kind of metaphorical that they had to go all the way out in the wilderness to seek it, But for us, even, it can be difficult to access the power of forgiveness, sometimes especially to forgive ourselves for what we've done and what we've left undone. But before that, there is this struggle that we don't really want to submit to anyone, even to God, to give over some control of our life and our thoughts simply stated we tend to like the idea that we can do this thing called life by ourselves on our own that we are maybe justified by God because we live pretty good lives we're pretty good people we obey the commandments mostly and we aren't as bad as other people we could name and if we find that we are coming up short in some area, especially in the United States. We might reflect on those misdeeds to discover ways that can stop that from happening. Some program, some internet guru, some influencer that will put us on a path toward full actualization so we can start doing good things again. The problem with that kind of repentance, you might be turning your life around again to do that, is it does not seek help that's truly outside oneself. It seeks something that's already agreeing with what's within. When you ask for God's help, you can ask for God's help with this and submit to God's will and direction and be open to the people who come your way to answer that prayer. (laughs) John's baptism of repentance for forgiveness put someone solidly on god's side even right relationship with god and anyone could come to the side of that river refusing john's baptism was a rejection of god's purpose even for those who were living these moral and obedient lives we've come to our second question if people came there seeking forgiveness why did john seem so rude to those crowds I mean, I've never been that way. When a couple comes to me asking to baptize their child, well, you brood of vipers. Maybe we can schedule this. What do you think? Um, Why was John so rude to them? Why did he say, you brood of vipers? I think he questioned their sincerity, really. He questioned their sincerity. He knew what their old back pocket argument was going to be about how they were actually already pretty okay. They were descendants of Abraham. So John puts a stop to that right away by saying, this is not about blood, people. This is not about who your great, 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 great was, and after you come up out of this water, you will act like the best of what Abraham did. You will bear fruits worthy of repentance, and it can't help but happen. Because there's grace in this water. There's the power of God in this water. It won't be a decision any longer. You can't help but act in gracious ways. Later on in John's, John's cousin, you know that Jesus is John's cousin, right? John's cousin's ministry, um, Brian Stoffregen has written that Jesus would have so much trouble with the scribes and the Pharisees Again, because they thought they were doing okay by themselves. They were living these good, moral, obedient lives before God and neighbor. That's the hardest person to understand that they need to submit to God and to ask God for help. In contrast, the sinners and the tax collectors were quite aware that they didn't measure up to God's uh, standards or society's standards. They knew they couldn't do it by themselves. They needed help. They needed help and they could call on God for it. I've often said that that passage that comes later in the book of Matthew where where Jesus says, the poor will always be with you. I think it's out of the faithfulness of the poor that they will always be in proximity to the ministry of grace. Staffregan also offers us this, that repentance is declaring to yourself and to God, I can't, I can't. I can't do everything. I can't please everyone. I can't follow all of the dictates of this religion or this society or any kind of internet expectations for how I should look or say or feel or I can't, I can't. And a lot of it I shouldn't even try. But the opposite of I can in the sense of faith is not, the opposite of I can't is not I can. The opposite of I can't is God can, God can. John at the side of the Jordan is signaling actually good things that will happen through Jesus and through the reign of God that is coming on God's time, unfortunately. Don't you hate that? God's time is not my time. God's time is not Alex's time. God's time is not Mo's time. God's time is God's time. But through God's saving action, we will be placed on more equal footing. That's what this filling in the valleys language is about, straightening the paths, purifying the religious institutions, That's why we read that Malachi passage today. You thought it was about, because it said, a messenger's coming. Like, oh, they brilliantly knew that John the Baptist was on his way, or maybe it's about Jesus. The problem in Malachi was a priesthood that needed to be purified because all kinds of hanky stuff was going on. The priesthood still needs to be purified. It needs constant purification. Keep stoking that fire, because we need to keep purifying our religious institutions all the time. And it's hard work. The work of filling in the valleys and making straight the paths will be even worse than how long we've waited for Humboldt Avenue to be fixed. (laughs) Or I-43 heading north, oh my goodness. Listen, way back in 1961, President Eisenhower, on his way out of office, warned us about the military industrial complex and the influence that it could have on all of society. We hear warnings like that about all kinds of things today. What our phones and the internet is doing to our brains, what plastics in our water are doing to all creatures and our health, all kinds of warnings. They're usually about that there is a poison or a problem on the way. John's message is actually about something great coming. Something amazing is coming, so be prepared and get on board with it. The valleys will be filled in. The key to all of this goes back to forgiveness. Forgiveness is the most powerful resource that the rest of the world doesn't seem to get. We incarcerate all kinds of people for all kinds of reasons that are not violent instead of the rarely used but proven method of restorative justice. Listen, forgiven people forgive people. There's a cycle of goodness that happens there. Forgiven people are free people. They're free of the resentments and the hurts of the past because they decided to give it up. And if we pass on a culture of grace, as grace has been shown to us, all kinds of relationships are possible. All kinds of cooperation could happen. Collaboration. Forgiveness is submission to God, but it is empowerment. So we prepare for the Jesus moment by starting with this forgiveness message, even before Jesus arrives. Wait! That's what John the Baptist is preparing. He's preparing us to be a forgiving people, to hear that message from Jesus when Jesus comes. So now I'm at the last question. What do you figure happened to the people after their baptism of repentance and forgiveness? What happens as they come out of the water? We'll never know for sure, of course. Did they maybe encounter Jesus later on? Were some of them those who forgot to pack their lunch when they went to listen to the sermon on the plane? Were some of them waving palms when Jesus entered into Jerusalem that incredible week? Maybe this baptism was preparation. That was their prepare ye. Were they then prepared to hear a message of grace and compassion? Are we? Did they become traffickers in grace themselves are we did they begin to see that forgiveness and grace are tools in whatever we want to call this thing that we want to see coming in God's time the reign of God if it's a renovation or a reconstruction it starts with the word of God finding us in our wilderness listen did you hear about this guy who fell off the cruise ship? Who heard about the guy who fell off the cruise ship? Okay, all right. His name was James Grimes, he's from Alabama, and he fell off the cruise ship <laughs> on the night before Thanksgiving into the waters of the Gulf of Mexico. And he treaded water, water for 15 hours. And what he has come to call that is a 20-hour baptism. And we don't know what's going to happen with the rest of Mr. Grimes' life, but he does give credit credit to God for sustaining him through all kinds of trouble there. Not only did he say, I don't float, but there was some creature that came and butted up against him, and the water was cold, and it was so many hours. Somehow, he was carried through. It reminds me of something that happened involving three people at Redeemer a few years ago in El Salvador. Pulled out by a riptide, it was a terrifying few moments for the 12 of us who had gone on that trip. The three in the water, of course, it was beyond terrifying. And one of them, Aaron Musser, calls it now his violent baptism. And he decided and he'd been contemplating it before, but that was decision day for him. He was going to seminary to prepare for a life of ministry. The other two women in the water with him at that same time, I wonder if that violent baptism prepared them somehow for major life changes that were ahead for them in their lives, too, some they Could welcome others profoundly, could not welcome what would happen. But to know that they were there on that threshold of life and death, knowing that they were beloved by a community on the seashore that was waiting with bated breath, and knowing that they'd been saved and brought ashore, somehow walked up the surf ate tacos with us that night. It was incredible. And so I wonder, those are are hugely, you know, life-changing moments, but what about you? Maybe you've had a life-changing moment, maybe a few, and yet they're not magical. Forgiveness can still be hard, a religion of love reminds us again and again of the need for forgiveness. You don't forgive yourself, and it's solved forever. Things come back at you. A relationship that they think you think may be reconciled, even from far away, those bad memories can come forth again, and you're like, I feel as hateful as I ever did. What the church can offer is a reminder of this powerful resource forgiveness and tie it to a ritual that is tangible that you can feel that you can sense and taste and so this morning i offer you as i do every sunday the body and blood of our lord jesus christ a meal of forgiveness for forgiveness so if there's something today that you need to bring forward and say i need forgiveness on this again It might not be something you did or didn't do but something done to you to be released of that as well is an incredible preparation for what is to come i also decided in the last minute to bring out a bowl of water so that you might remember your baptism today so as you come up for communion if you wish stop by the water scoop some up make the sign of the cross on your forehead to remember that violent or not, you've been baptized. You are baptized. You are prepared for what comes next in the most important of ways. Thanks be to God for that. Amen.
1: Let's get on board. All you need is faith to hear the diesels humming. You don't need no ticket. You just thank the Lord. There's a train to jordan it's picking up passengers from coast to coast faith is the key open the doors and board them there's hope for all His own. And pity on those whose chances grow thinner. But there's no hiding place from the king. and sisters everywhere love is the key to keep the flame a burning you know in your heart he will soon be here people get ready there's a change coming you don't need no baggage you just get on all you need is faith to the diesels of humming. You don't need no money, you just love the Lord. Whoa.
0: There you have it, a sermon and a song. Hope you are inspired, fortified, challenged by these podcasts, and also willing to donate to support our ministry here in the heart of Milwaukee. Online, go to www.redeemermilwaukee.org. An old-fashioned paper check means no fees. The entire gift supports the ministry here. Send a check to Redeemer Church, 631 North 19th Street, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53233. 3, 3. Our Fearless and Faithful Capital Campaign invites anyone to help us with financial contributions, big or small, to make our physical home at the corner of 19th Street and Wisconsin Avenue ready and able to worship, for education, and especially for outreach in decades to come. Information on Fearless and Faithful can be found at the website, www. Redeemer Milwaukee.org. Until next time, may our gracious God increase your hope, strengthen your faith, deepen your capacity for love, and grant you peace.